0: Thanks for listening, and welcome to the Bridges Community Church Podcast. Christ alone offers freedom, but we often keep ourselves locked up by trying to add on to His gift, and we further tighten the chains. Christ alone offers freedom to step outside the gates of our prisons and learn to experience life on the outside. Listen in as we check out our current series on the New Testament book of Galatians titled Life on the Outside with today's teaching pastor, Nate Glaze. morning. How are we doing today? You know, as we were singing that last song, um, my heart will sing no other name, Jesus, Jesus. It just, it, it just struck a chord deep in my heart, I think. And as we've been studying through the book of Galatians, I think that's this message we hear Paul write over and over again saying, there's all these other things you guys have added to your faith that you've added to your story, but there really is no other name but the name of Jesus. And that's really the the message we're going to continue to talk about this morning. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys uh, a little story so that you think less of me, or I don't know why I want to tell this story. But uh, uh, several years ago, my niece and nephew came to visit me. And my niece and nephew were like probably six and eight at the time. And uh, they're from like the mountains of Oregon. And I thought, oh, one of the things I like to do is I like to kayak out in the bay and I like to fish out there sometimes. I haven't done it in a while, but at the time I was doing that a lot. So, I thought, oh, this would be great. I'll, I'll take my niece and nephew out fishing, shark fishing. They'll catch these big old sharks. How cool would that be, right, for, for a young child? And um, I've got this kayak that is not exactly seaworthy. It's kind of a big open kayak. It's more like a canoe, really. It's huge. So anyway, we, we get into the kayak. And we put in at Dumbarton Bridge and we kayak down to, you know, the Dumbarton Railroad Bridge there, that old bridge. We anchor up out there and we hadn't been anchored up in like five minutes. We start catching fish and oh, we're catching just big old sharks. They're about the same size as these kids are. And they're laughing and they think it's so cool. And they're taking pictures, kissing sharks. And I mean, this is like, this is awesome. And at the same time, though, I'm, I'm kind of watching the weather. And the wind's starting to pick up, and the waves are kind of building. And, and I know the tides are changing, and I know that we, we better get out of here pretty quick. Otherwise, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get bad. And, you know, I'm kind of, okay, guys, we're going to have to reel in. It's about time to go home. And boom, one of the poles goes down, a fish on. Oh, we got another one, Uncle Nate. Oh, okay, I want to. Okay, let's fish a little longer and a little longer and a little longer. And pretty soon, we, we pull up anchor, and by the time we do that, it's, it's getting bad. The wind is really starting to howl and the current is going the exact opposite direction. I want to be going. And the waves start to build up. And the way the waves are coming in If I don't hit every wave directly on, water splashes into the boat, and I start to get a little nervous. See, I I told my wife where we were at, but she wouldn't have thought if we were home a couple hours late. And that side of the bay, the Coast Guard isn't ever coming down there, right? They avoid it. It's just sewage waste plants, right? And and I realized that this is about to get ugly, and I'm about to to teach these kids how to swim in the middle of the bay and it's not going to be good. So I'm paddling for all I've got. And I feel like every paddle stroke I take, I'm just barely beating the wind and the current. And if I let off the paddles for just one second, we're back. And so I'm just paddling and paddling and paddling. And every paddle stroke is just the anxiety builds in me. And every wave that crashes over the kayak, I get more and more just fearful. I realize that I could kill these kids. Um, and finally, we battle through the waves and battle through the waves. And I get over to the levee, not even all the way back to where we put in. Just I get onto dry land and I get out of the boat and I get the kids, and we're all up on dry land. And oh, I just feel so good. I feel like I just won the lottery. Like I just saved these kids' lives. I should get some sort of award, right? This is, woo, we're free. We made it. Yeah. Oh, it felt so good. And we get home, and the kids, they got no idea what was happening, right? They thought, oh, it was fun. We were out with Uncle Nate, and and we're telling stories. And that night, I remember laying in bed, and I start to replay the story in my mind, start to think through all the different details and, and all the things I should have done different, and I could have done this, and I wish I would have done this. And the anxiety just came back in, and it gripped me. And I realized, here I'm laying in bed, tense, just sweating, just fearful, And I've never had PTSD, but I think in a moment I had a a minor form of that. And I think that's a similar thing that happens to us in our Christian walk sometimes, is that when we accept Christ, we realize we've been rescued from just a terrible situation, that we've been given eternal life that we do not deserve, and we're overjoyed with just this new freedom that we find. We're so excited about this. Some of you probably can remember your own stories, the time that you first came to Christ and the joy you felt. Yet time goes on, right? And we kind of go, wow, yeah, that's great. Jesus died for me, but man, shouldn't I be doing some more things? Maybe I need to kind of do this or do that to earn his approval and this like spiritual PTSD creeps into our life. Go, man, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I need to, to make sure my family looks a certain way so that the community, the people around me can see that I've got a good family or, or maybe I just need to make sure I get this good job because if I don't get this good job, I'm letting my parents down. I'm letting, and, and pretty soon, we've re-enslaved ourselves to all the things that we were trapped by before. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, you guys, remember the gospel. In verse three, he lays it out so beautifully. He says, you have been freed. Jesus has saved you. And yet you're choosing slavery over this freedom. So let's read uh, Galatians chapter four together and see how this is built out in this passage. So starting in verse 1, Galatians chapter 4. If you got one of the Bibles in front of you, it's page uh, 974. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and the managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also... When we were children, we're enslaved to the elemental principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, he starts off with this comparison of the son and a hired worker, and he's saying, don't you guys realize it? You are the son of the king, the creator of the universe. You're not just a hired worker. So start living like sons and daughters of God. And then he takes a more personal note. You really see his heart here, his love for the Galatian church. And he says this, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back against the weak and worthless elemental principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first and through my condition, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as angel of God in Christ Jesus. What has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, But for no good purpose, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Isn't that beautiful to see the heart of Paul just so compassionate and loving towards these people that that he he breaks for them. So what is it that we can really gain from this? What what can we learn from this passage? I think there's all kinds of things that God is trying to speak into our lives through this. And the first thing I see is that we need to claim our royalty. Paul is saying, you are a child of God. You are an heir of the king. The creator of the universe has adopted you as his child, Yet you are turning to all these other things, these elemental principles of the worth, world, these worthless things. I imagine for the Galatian church, I imagine just their excitement as they, they first heard Paul's message. And we know that they were excited about it because they bought into it full heartedly. But then over time, they're like, yeah, we, Jesus is all we need. But you know what? It hasn't rained in a while. And I don't, I don't know what to do. Everybody else is going and making sacrifices, and everybody else is doing these things. Maybe we should do those things. It doesn't seem right that we just sit here and just pray. Shouldn't we do something else to, to, to kind of earn maybe some rain? Or, or maybe they're looking at it, and they're going, yeah, I know that Jesus accepted me. I'm now part of the family of God, but my immediate family thinks I'm crazy, and they're not inviting me to the family gatherings anymore. They're not inviting me to the festivals anymore. I don't, I don't feel like I, I fit in here anymore. And now there's these teachers coming up from Jerusalem. And they're saying that if I really want to be a Christian, if I really want to follow Jesus, then I also need to follow all these Jewish practices. So I guess I better do that because I want to fit in with them too. I want to have purpose and meaning. So maybe I need to start doing all these festivals and following the months and the days and the seasons. And they get trapped in this, this spiritual kind of PTSD. So Paul uses this analogy of an heir and a servant, a slave. And he says, think about it this way. In in a rich home, there's the heir, the son, and and they might have the same jobs as the hired worker, right? They might have some of the same chores, some of the same responsibilities, some of the same lack of, of freedom, but there's a key difference. And that's that one day, everything the owner has will be given to the son, and and so they work not out of a sense of obligation, not just to earn a paycheck, not just to earn the approval of their master, but they work in such a way because of the intimacy and the love and the relationship with the father. And he's saying, "That's the opportunity you guys have been given. So why are you wandering around, acting like trapped servants? Claim your entitlement. Claim this. But instead, they're clinging to." kind of this legalism. See, that's the problem, I think, with legalism or materialism or hedonism. All these different things, they creep into our life, and they can kind of attach themselves to our other worldviews, and they're so subtle that we don't even notice it sometimes. Like, I mean, take legalism, for example. Just out of a curiosity, how many in here are legalistic? Oh, yeah, well, we, we probably all should, but none of us think of ourselves that way. Like, I don't describe myself that way. Oh, my name's Nate. I like the outdoors. I'm highly legalistic. Uh, You know, I don't even think like those guys that, Protest, uh, funerals consider themselves legalistic. I don't think the Galatian church thought of themselves as legalistic. Yet these legalisms, these rules that we think if we obey them, if we do them correctly, we can earn the favor of God. They creep into all of our lives. And Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to you and I saying, you've added these things onto your faith and you don't need them. They're trapping you. It's like you're running around as slaves when you are an heir to, to God himself. So claim your entitlement. Claim your royalty. See, our heritage, our relation to God changes everything. I remember as a kid, my dad took me um, to visit my uncle. My uncle was in prison, and they were kind of transferring him through, and he was going to be in a prison near our house. And I can still remember driving onto the grounds of the prison. And if uh, at the Oregon Penitentiary, there the way it works is, I think a lot of prisons are this way. You you kind of you drive up to this gate, you know, with the barbed wire on top, and the gate opens up, and you drive in, and then the gate shuts behind you, and you're trapped between two gates. And you speak through the intercom. And you say, "Oh, I'm here to visit such and such." and and then the secondary gate opens up and you drive into the prison complex. And at that point in time, you are in the system, right? You are, you are in the prison. And I can remember even as a young child feeling the pressure of being in the prison. And I remember going into the, the um, room there and sitting on the hard plastic stools and looking through the plexiglass at my uncle and talking to him on a phone through the glass. I remember the pressure that felt. I remember looking at the guards around and everybody looking at me. Yet even though I was in that system, I was, not a, I was not trapped in there. I was there with my dad. I was free. At the, the reality was, at the end of the day, I was walking out of that prison that nobody could keep me in there. And in the same way, you and I are in a world that is broken, that is filled with things that want to trap you and enslave you and want to push you down. Satan wants to use all these different things in our life. Yet we are a child of the creator of the universe. We get to call him dad. Dad. And we're walking out of this world with him, not because we're good enough, but because he's good enough. So let's take a moment and let's look at what is our royal inheritance. And Paul lays it out beautifully in this passage. First, he starts off with saying that you are redeemed. In verse four and five, he says that even though you were under the law, that God sent his son to be born of a woman under the law to bring us redemption that he bought us out of prison. Pastor Ron talked about that. So and used a a picture of a time that he had to buy some kids out of jail. And and that that image of redemption is so vivid that even though we were broken, that we were trapped by our sin, that God gave his son for us. We don't use the idea of redemption a whole lot in our culture, right? I mean, we'd use it a lot for aluminum cans. That's kind of one of the things that we we use at the redemption program. And, And you think about it, an aluminum can, if it was just left up to the market, probably doesn't have enough value that it would really warrant us taking the effort to take it out of our garbage can and going down and having it recycled. So they institute a program that says that aluminum can is worth five cents. So now I bring my garbage, stuff that has no value to me, down to the metal place, and they give me five cents for my garbage because somebody has put a value on that can. Think about it this way. My life, Whether I live another day or whether I live 50 more years, I'm going to make a pretty good mess of my life. I just know I will. At the end of my life, my value, realistically, is not going to be that great. Yet, God, the creator of the universe, put a value on my head. And the value is his own son. And that's the same value he put on all of our heads. Any of us who accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior have been redeemed by God himself. That's an an amazing thing to just come to grips with. And I think the only response I can think of is to say, thank you, God, in an act of worship to offer my life back. But God didn't stop there. He didn't just adopt us as, or he didn't just redeem us. He adopted us. He invited us into his house. In fact, the passage says that God adopted us and now we can call him Abba, Father. That we can call him Dad, He's not some distant person, but that the very creator of the universe, that you and I get to enter into relationship with him, that we can come to him in prayer and say, Dad, Father. Sometimes we pray and we just use the word Father so easily in our prayers, right? Father, help me with this. Father, this. Father, that. But think about that. God, our Father, that he's adopted us, that he has redeemed us. He's not only just bought us out of jail and said, go don't make too big of a mess of your life. Try to stay out of jail again. <laughs> that he says, come into my family. Be part of my family. I have this friend, this guy I, I care deeply about. And uh, he's gotten into quite a bit of trouble recently. And we're, we write letters back and forth to each other. And I care about my friend. And I would do a lot for him. I, I would probably pay a, a great price to, if it helped him out some way. But I don't know if he called me up and said, hey, can I come live with you? I don't know if I'd want to have him in my house. I know what he's capable of. I know he's a dangerous and violent man. I don't know if I'd want him around my kids. And I also know that you and I, as Christians, we're screwed up people. That I'm not sure I'd want most of you in my house. You wouldn't want me in your house, right? Yet God chooses us, adopts us, invites us into his house, and we can call him Father. That's a powerful thing to think about, to come to grips with, and to know that our worth, our value, our acceptance is already solid in the fact that we are a child of God. But again, God doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just buy us out of prison. He doesn't just adopt us. He takes it one step further, and he gives us his spirit into our life. It says that the only reason we could even say Abba Father is because the very Spirit of God comes and it dwells in our life. That God doesn't just free us from sin, but he also gives us an opportunity to live a life walking in the Spirit, a life that is following him, a life that you and I are not good enough or capable enough or wise enough or righteous enough to do on our own. But because the very Spirit of God lives in our lives, the Bible tells us we can. That's incredible. The verse, uh, chapter 5, it really goes into detail, and we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. But it really goes into detail of what this walking in the Spirit looks like. But it's, it's incredible. Instead of being people of envy, we can be people who are generous and grateful and compassionate. Instead of being people filled with hate, we can be people of love and generosity. And instead of being people that are filled with lust, we can be people of self-control, not because we're so good, but because God gives us his spirit, and that's the inheritance that we have received as followers of Jesus, and I think part of what we need to do, and when we hear this, is come to a place where we go, thank you, God, and to also come to the realization that all these things, we try to add on to that. It's crazy. Why would we try to add on to something so great? Why would we try to think that our goodness can somehow earn us the favor of God when God has already given it to us. And he's saying, I love you. I accept you. I want you in my family. I redeemed you. And I want us just to to take a moment and to reflect on our inheritance and to allow just our great generosity to who God is and what he's done for us, allow that to shine out. And I think as that shines out, it'll actually shine light onto these other areas of our life that we don't need, that we've added that are, are worthless and are not helpful. Oftentimes in the midst of his glory, we, we don't choose that love, huh? We, we choose slavery. We choose these other things to come into our lives to, to trap us. Um, I think one of the, the challenges for me on this passage, especially is, is when I think of the church there in Galatians, it's easy for me to, to uh, kind of see what their, their thing was enslaving them right? For them, it was, uh, they had accepted the gospel and then the law, the Jewish religious system. They said, okay, I also have to do this. But when I look into my own life, it's a little bit harder because the things that trap me are so deeply rooted in my own culture. Sometimes it's difficult to even see them, right? And, and, but when I I really start to, to look at it and to process, okay, where am I finding my worth? Where am I finding my value? So often it's in kind of this pursuit of looking like I have it all together, or this pursuit of making sure my, my family looks like it has it all together, or some job, or some this, or some that. And so part of, I think, what Paul is getting at, and what we should be getting at is, okay, what is keeping us enslaved? What is trapping us? And, and it's been today kind of thinking through that and to, to searching our soul. So there's some things, I think, that come out of here. Uh, uh, that Paul really gets at, or what are some of these, these elements that are keeping us enslaved? And the first thing I see in verse 8 is what I wrote down as intentional ignorance. He says, you guys knew this. You accepted this message. You knew God, and God knew you. How could you turn back from this? See, the reality of it is, when we choose materialism, we choose legalism, we choose hedonism over just a soul relationship with God, we can't claim total ignorance in that. It'd be kind of like if I was at your, in your neighborhood and I was driving down your street going 75 miles an hour while your kids are out playing, right? And I pulled over and you guys were like, dude, Nate, what are you thinking? Why are you driving so fast? And I'd go, oh, I didn't see the sign. Was it, was it 25? Oops. Right? You'd look at me going, okay. I mean, maybe you were ignorant there, but that was an intentional ignorance. The Bible is very clear that these things, even though they're so subtle, even though they creep up into our life, and we don't even notice them attaching it onto our worldview, that they're intentional ignorance. It's us choosing a false belief over God. And we need to come to grips with that. We need to remember that, um, that God is calling us to put our soul affection on him. I, oh, that's a... Hang on here. Got my pages backwards. Another thing I see is um, that we, in, we choose the wrong model to follow sometimes. right? Paul is looking at this church and he's saying, you guys believe this. You followed this model. You understood what the beauty of the gospel meant. And then you allowed these other people to come into your lives and to teach you things that were so false, that were so wrong. Why would you choose those models? Why would you, why would you follow those things? I mean, for us, we've got a plethora of Christian books and media out there, right? If you just type in Christian books into your Google, uh, you're going to have a 100 different things come up. And they're not all equal. There are all kinds of things out there that look really good. They look really spiritual. They look like what God would say, but they're just twisted a little bit. And we've got to be very careful of the model we follow, the, the things we listen to. What is it that we're putting into our life? And we need to compare those with the truth of the gospel. And if there's anything that comes in that says the gospel plus this, we need to run from those things. We need to fight against those things. And the last thing I see Paul saying here is that, um, that we actively reject truth. See, what, what's going on here when the Galatian church hears the gospel, they believe the gospel, yet they choose to go this other way. They're actually enemies of the truth. In the same way, when you and I add these other things into our life, when we think that we need this material pursuit, when we think we need this family pursuit, when we think we need these other things in our life, that it actually um, makes us enemies of the truth. I don't know about you guys, but I don't think of myself as like an enemy of truth. I don't think of myself as some evil person out there that actively fights against what God wants for my life. I kind of reserve that for like Ku Klux Klan members and, you know, evil dictators. But the reality of it is the enemy of truth can be us good-looking people that go to church every Sunday, that go to Bible studies, that look like we have it all together. And yet, we don't truly trust in Jesus. We trust in these other things in our life. Um, Another thing I noticed in this passage that I felt was kind of convicting to me, was really convicting to me, was just Paul's great compassion for the church here. Right? Paul is is just broken for these people. And so one of the questions I have is, how do we help each other embrace royalty instead of enslavement? And I think the first thing is we need to have empathy for those enslaved. Paul starts this, he says, uh, in verse 11, he says, I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. I hurt for you with like the anguish of giving birth to a child. I don't know if these are feelings I, I necessarily feel a lot for some of you guys. right? I don't-, I don't look at Pastor Ron and go, man, Ron, when I see you doing this, man, it's like I'm having a baby. This hurts, man. I, just- I, don't-, I don't think that way. I mean, there's been some times where I've had students um, from back when I was in student ministries that have come back from college or high school, and I've seen them, and they're choosing lifestyles that are so destructive to themselves and others and are so far away from what God wants for them that I've felt this before. But I felt, man, what am I doing? Why am I, am I just wasting my time? Why am I pouring? I mean, this is so terrible. But I don't know if I've ever had a student come back from college that was getting good grades, that was making good choices like in life, that was things, but wasn't really pursuing the Lord that much. You know, that was kind of, wasn't really that passionate about their faith in Jesus where I was like, oh, I hurt for them. Oh man, I know you're choosing these materialistic things, uh, but God wants so much more for you. I don't, I don't know if I have that, that kind of empathy and compassion in my life. Yet I see that in Paul's in Paul's example here, that he loves these people so deeply that it's tearing him up inside. In fact, he, he thinks about them all the time, that he lays awake, I think, praying for these people. And I think for us, there, there's a model here for us, that, that we can be people that, that love each other, and that as we analyze how our culture, how our own influences taint the gospel— We begin to see that in our own life. We see that in the lives of others, and we can have empathy for each other. We can begin to pray for each other and to ask God to, to give us that compassion and that love. I think as small group leaders, I think this is something for us to think about is how can we love and be compassionate for those in our small group? So when somebody comes to our small group and goes, hey, everything's going great, we don't just go, okay, great. Check that box next. You know, somebody really need prayer. But that we pray for people, even Uh, When on the outside, everything looks like they got it all together. Another thing I think here is that we need to model a life as sons and daughters of the Father. Paul uses his, his own life as an example. He says, become as I am. These are powerful words for him to say, this is my heart that I want to be a child of God, a a child that, that just deeply loves the intimacy and relationship with the Father, and that is what drives me. That is where I find my worth and my value and my affection. So come follow me. You'll see this lived out in my life. That's a great thing that we should all strive for in my life, in our lives. See, the reality for myself is I can do 100 acts of kindness I can preach thousands of sermons, see thousands of people come to Christ. But if in my heart that I'm not somebody that that truly pursues Christ and that finds my affection and my worth in being a son of him, I'm missing the point. The last point I see here from Paul's example is that we need to be people that have truthful conversations. Paul has some tough conversations with the, the church here. In fact, I know these conversations were tough for him because he even says, why is it that by telling you the truth, I've become your enemy? These are people that Paul cares about. He says, remember, we used to have such a close relationship that you would have popped your eye out for me, right? I, I care about you. I love you. But now I'm telling you the truth and you hate me for it. Because the reality of it is when we speak the truth that goes against the status quo, that goes against the cultural norm that says that, that there's some things in our lives that we can change, that we can grow in, that, that, that. Pushes people off. We all are enemies of the truth at times. Yet it is crucial that we have these conversations. If we are to be a church that grows, that develops as truly heirs of God, then we need to be willing to have these conversations. And I think we need to be willing to have these conversations in a direct manner. Sometimes it's easy to just subtly have these conversations, right? Just to be kind of like, oh, you sure seem like you're spending a lot of time at work lately, huh? Or Man, he sure seems like you care a lot more about your kids' soccer games than you do about, you know, your relationship with your wife. Oh, okay, or just subtle things. We just kind of sprinkle them in. And I think it's so much better to, in in humility to come to people in truthfulness and say, you know, I could be wrong about this, but we've been in the same small group together for a while, and I, I just I, I see what I, it seems like your values are, and your values really seem to be more about. Your job you seem to always prioritize work over over your relationship with Jesus, or you seem to really find your value in these things, and I could be wrong, and if I am, tell me but let 's have this conversation and I, I see Paul doing that here, and it 's convicting in my own life. How often am, am I having these conversations so you can kind of wrapping this up, I, I think we all should uh, I think it's something that that takes a little bit of soul searching in a way, right? It takes allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us and to work into our life. If I was just to real quickly say, okay, what are the things that we've attached to the gospel? We might be able to come up with some big categories, right? Like, oh, I pursue work too much, right? You know, I pursue looking good too much or this or that. But the deeper we allow God to work in our lives, the more he starts bringing up. I know it's interesting. We were talking about this as pastors, and uh, one of the pastors was saying, well, in China, it's all about materialism. It's all about trying to get the best job and to have your company go public or this or that and to to have that image of success. And I kind of felt like, well, that's not necessarily how materialism looks for me. But then as I started to look at it, materialism looks for me more like having a family that's kind of got it all together and, and being able to take care of myself and not ever to have to ask anybody for help and have kids that are good. And while those things aren't necessarily bad things, when that becomes where I find my worth, when that becomes where I find my value, when I'm I'm hoping for that to somehow earn me favor with God, I become an enemy of the truth. And I miss the point that I am an heir of God, that God has chosen me, that he has loved me, that he has bought me. And that is the greatest thing I can focus my life on. So we're gonna have the band come back up and we're gonna sing that song again. And uh, during this time, again, just feel free to, to stay where you're at, to come up, whatever works for you, and just ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to uncover those aspects of your life, those things in your worldview that you've added on to the gospel that maybe God needs to strip away. Let's pray. God, you have loved us so, so deeply and so compassionately. I pray that as we sing these songs, as we reflect on you, that we can offer up our prayers and our singing as an act of true worship and reflection, that as we do that, as we think about what you've done for us, you will remind us of the brokenness of our life that you want to uncover, the things in our life that we cling to, that we think have value, that we think give us identity and purpose and meaning, yet we don't need anymore and to strip those away, to tear off the chains of our enslavement, and help us live as your heir. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridges Podcast. Check out Bridges Community Church website at bridgescc.org for more information.